We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to another episode of the Goodman and Humble podcast, and uh, we finally arrived. We, we finally got the guy who made Robbie Hummel into the player he is or was, um, or, or maybe the guy who screwed him up. I, I don't know which, uh, but we bring on Purdue coach Matt Painter, and uh, Paint, I can't believe I have worked with this guy all season. I, I don't know how you coached him. I don't know how you did it. He's uncoachable. <laughs> Um, no, I, I think he's fine. If you're having trouble with him, <laughs> you're going to have a short career. What, what are you trying to say? You're, you're trying to say he was one of the easiest guys you coached? Yeah, he was. He was one of the easiest guys to coach. So no, I think you, that's you, what, you know where I stand. You know I, where I stand with Rob. Um, and, and I don't I, think you, I don't think you've been back to Purdue since Rob was there. You, you had an apartment when Rob yeah, was at Purdue. Yeah, and then when he well, left, yeah, he was like, back. he's gone. One of my favorite Crazy. days. One of my favorite days, honestly, was uh, your first game back, Rob. Spending that day with you um, when you came back from the injury. It was one of the coolest things I've ever done in my career. And I mean that sincerely. Like, it was it was very cool. So, anyway. Well, I, I will never forgive. I, I will say about that. I will never forgive our athletic trainer who was living with us for taking his parents' couches because we had to have that, like, native print couch that was, like, the worst thing <laughs> And you filmed it and you put it on YouTube. I oh, yeah. Our, our apartment was awful, but, yeah, it was a good time. It was, it was a, good a good time. time. It was a good time. All right, Paint, uh, we're going to start out with, with, with an easy one here. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get you going with your favorite, uh, maybe your most embarrassing, whatever, uh, Robbie Hummel story that you've got from, from coaching him. Yeah, I really don't have, like, an embarrassing story. I mean, he was um, – kind of unassuming when he first got there. Like everybody has for somebody who was ranked pretty high, that was on a high profile AAU team that got offered by a lot of people. Like those guys that come in, their expectations are so high. Yeah. And it wasn't like he wanted to do well, but like he was different. He just wanted to win. But if he had to play 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes, like he'd have been okay with it. Like he just would have, you know, and Elliot Bloom, who is our, our Dobo, 
was the SID at times. And he would always peek in there and watch. And he would always tell us before he'd say, Hey, he's going to play like he's your type of guy. And I was always like, Oh, I'm a big fan of his. He goes, but you know, he's a true freshman. Like, you know, you're, you're going to have some adjustments. He goes, I'm just telling you, you know, he, you know, he's about winning, but probably the one story that I have to kind of show you the way sometimes people that worry a lot that are competitive, it can, it can hurt them and it can also help them. And Rob worried all the time. And it's actually a good thing when you have the substance that he has and you have the skill level and the knowledge and the understanding of a player that he does. But we ran the mile. And I don't know if it was his first year or his second. I think it was his second or third years before he got is, hurt. Is this the year on grass? Yeah. Like he just, that was, the, that was my sophomore year. Sophomore yeah. year. So he's sitting there talking and like, he's, you know, he's a hand ringer and he's sitting there talking. And he goes, well, you know, yesterday I went and I went back to my high school. I was at home visit my parents and I went and ran the mile. I'm like, what, what did you do that for? You got to run it today. He goes, well, I just wanted to make sure that like, you know, I was okay. And like, you know, I was going to make my time. I'm like, like make your time. Like he ran like a five twelve or a five Oh eight or something the year before he runs a Jeff, he runs a four forty six mile. So he has to run it like in five thirty. I might may, may, might have given him like a harder time at five twenty. Yeah, so here's bumped, the guy who still, who still, who still has the run. So think about your six, eight, and we walked away from there and like running the mile or like giving them a time for something. When you start in conditioning, like not everybody's supposed to make it. Right. That's like, they always look at it like, Oh man, like this guy missed that guy. You're supposed to have three to four guys not make something or your times aren't that good. Like not everybody can be in shape. So Rob gets a four forty six, which is still the record for us. Really? And then Jawan Johnson gets like a five Oh three. Yeah, and it's good. like, and everybody makes their time. Each one more wasn't a great athlete and he did everything he could to get like a 527. Yep, and so yep. he makes it and everybody made their time. And we walked off of there and somebody goes, have you ever been on a team or coached a team that everybody makes their mile time? All 15 guys, you got to understand there's three walk-ons out there and they got to make their mile time. Because have you ever been on like a team? I'm like, never. And I haven't since. And they said, well, what do you think about that? We're going to win a bunch of games. That's what I think. <laughs> you know? But it was like for him to like, think like I might not make this that kind of shows you like you know you see great players who like throw up before games every single game you're like you're going to beat this team by 30 and they're Bill, there's Bill Russell throwing up before the game you're like you're going to get 30 rebounds and you're going to win by 30 but yet he still has the butterflies but that's what makes people good I remember on that day and I ran it before every year I went to Westside High School one year and ran it I ran it that year at Valpo I remember coming around the turn at the 200-meter mark, and Rick Ray's got, a, got a, a stopwatch, and he's counting off, and he's like 350, 351. I'm like, dude, I might run a 430. Like, which would, I, I ran it in eighth grade. I ran it in 456th grade. I was a good miler, like, but I hated it. I, I didn't like doing it. So I, had, I ended up running a 446, which means I almost ran a minute 200. I remember Coach Painter, Coach Lusker screaming at me to, sprint sprint and i literally was about to die my heart felt like it was gonna explode in my chest i was so tired i ran a minute 200 <laughs> it's so slow yeah That's terrible we, we had a couple big guys after you graduated that they never had that feeling rob they never had that feeling where they felt like their heart they was gonna explode they did not enter the there, tank you're over there the timing you're over there timing them with the calendar and it's good that that at least you can run the mile well because uh his vertical sucks. 
Just hey, just box out. That's right. That's right. That's the words of a good coach right there. Box box out out. and take charges. You don't got to worry about shit. All right. You got no dirt. Do your best. You got no dirt on Hummel. You got nothing. You came with nothing. Rob, give me something that you did that Painter did not know about in college. Something you broke the rule. You did something. You were out drinking. Whatever it is. Give me, confess to Painter now that you weren't such a good boy. Well, I'm, I'm not saying that he was. I'm not saying that he was a saint. I'm not saying that. Um, but like he he did what he was supposed to. Like he like back when you knew phone numbers. Yeah. You know, like you knew everybody's. Like I know every every friend of mine I grew up. I still to this day can give you their phone number. Right. And like he would have been a non phone number guy. You didn't. Like, he'd have been a guy that you didn't have. A, you know, like you you knew the phone numbers when you first started coaching. <laughs> of the guys that were late to class and do what they're supposed to. He'd be like, man, that's great. You know his phone number? Like, I know his phone number because I'm an assistant. And I'm in charge of him. Like, I got to get Like, Rob's just – that was what – he took care of his business and he was responsible. And so – All right, I'll say I definitely texted an athletic trainer to mark me off at breakfast a few times. Like, because we had to, like, go to Fort Dining Court and, like, say we were – like, check in. And I, especially like my senior year, because I was living off campus. So it was a long drive and it was sometimes hard to get over there. So I definitely did that. And I'll confess that one of my years, my girlfriend was my class checker because we had like, we had a bunch of classes lined up. So like Coach Foster, he sees that and hey, will you class check this guy? And it was my girlfriend. So there was a couple, it was like a lecture hall and like, there were no assignments. There was a few times where I just, I didn't go to class. I'm yeah. sorry. Did you date her because she was a class? No, she was my high. She was my high school girlfriend. It was not. Okay. All right. It's not like I picked her up. But a lot of things like checker. like people don't realize like a lot of what you have in place. Like I always talk about the discipline of like after you're done playing, like the world doesn't doesn't care if you can shoot a jumper. Totally. Like how you treat people like being on time, being respectful to other people. I know that comes off hokey sometimes to people, but it's so true. Like it just is true. So like we had things in place and I'll, and I'll be Frank and Rob, you'll uh, attest to this, but um, I was much more strict with things then to be honest. Like I like have like that responsibility of like, I don't want somebody like we had a guard for us. that was a good player that couldn't make layups. And I was always embarrassed. I was like, man, he's going to go like try out in the G league or be in Germany and going like, who the hell coached him in college? He can't make a layup, but he couldn't make a layup. And I'd work and talk to him about it and do things. And he never could make a layup. And I just was like, oh, okay. Just, they're going to look at me like a bad coach. But I wanted that for them, like as players, as people, like just be on this, learn to be on coach. Katie was that way for me. Like learn to be on time, like learn to do what you're supposed to do. But the guys that already had that, like to me, like it was, I wasn't like letting them get away with things, but I just was like, all right, man, it's Rob. You're more worried about the little things. Rob's talking about a senior year. I mean, he's probably in a second rehab. You know, he's on crutches or he's got a back brace or like he had so much yeah. drama and so many things he had to go. It wasn't for him. It was for the 18, 19 year old kid that didn't have that and didn't have that and still just to try. And I think a lot of the issues that guys have is that they simply just can't do what they're supposed to when they're supposed to do it. And, um, and, I, and that kind of holds true, but it wasn't like – I will say, though, all those rules are super helpful when you leave. Like, yes. you're on a pro team in Europe, you're late to, to dinner, you get fined. Like, or you're at a job and, and you don't go after a, a late night. Like, 
I mean, you could get away with not going to class, but you can't just not go to work. Right. <laughs> so, like, I think, yeah. I think they're good. I, I really do. I would always tell Coach Weber, who was an assistant when I played, and I always go like, so when it rains, like, classes aren't canceled? And he'd go, Matt, are you being serious? I'd be like, Coach, I'm just joking, man. I'm just joking. He goes, man, because they weren't doing, like, my whole system that I made up was just the foolproof of what I did in college. Like, hey, like, I'm leaving study table. I'm going to go to the library. I got a group project. I wasn't going to the library. Like, I was, you know, I was going back to my apartment. Like, it was, and so all my rules, people would be like, well, coach, they try to explain things. I'm like, no, 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 this is foolproof. Because I went to school here, and there's going to be no loopholes, and we're going to have discipline. And if we have discipline, we're going to have a lot of fun. I will so, say it did feel like Coach Painter was like God at times. Or like if you went out, you just – I don't know if you did know, but it felt <laughs> like you knew. Like where you'd be like – you know, I was at this frat party, and he probably knows that. It, it really felt like he knew everybody and everything that was happening on campus. It was amazing. But when you go to school somewhere and, like, you know, all of a sudden you get a job, yep. and I've been there since I was 34 years old. Now I'm 50. So, like, who are the police? Like, what, what's their age? What's the – who are the professors? Like, who are the – like, so now as you're starting to get older, it's more people that you know. And so Coach Katie would always do that stuff. Yeah, all right, everybody line up. He goes, line up. We had a couple guys go out last night. He goes, hey, whoever they were, just raise your hands. And all of a sudden, a couple guys just like sheepishly be like, you know, like raising their hands. And he had no idea anybody went out. He just kind of had a had a thing. And all of a sudden, we're running. And then we kind of figure it out later in the locker room. Like, hey, man, why would you raise your hand? They go, well, he said it. He, well, what do you mean? Like, he didn't have you. Well, I went out, man. I wasn't going to lie to the guy. Like, I wasn't, you know. And that was the kind of respect you had for him. Like, you still were, you know byproduct of youth you're still going to be social and do what you had to do and but then when he said that stuff man you're like all right you know you own up to it like you would be on his side like you would be he would be he was that kind of a guy kind of a straightforward kind of a man's man type guy but he would always do stuff like that um but I I didn't know what you guys were doing Bob to be frank it felt like it (laughs) you played it off like you did (laughs) so give, give me the first time paint that you ever saw Rob play do you remember when it was, where it was? Uh, was it in um, AAU or in high school? No, it would have been in AAU. I came after the season. So I got the job in April, then I had it a season. I don't know if I knew about him then, because I didn't know about him then. The first place I went when I came to Purdue, Conzo Martin took me to see Etwan Moore in, in, um, in a pickup game. And I was like, oh, man, like, I got to wait four years here. I don't know if I'll still be the coach. Um, okay, but he's pretty good. And, but he's also 15 and he's still got three more years of high school. Like we got to get some guys before we get to that point. But I didn't know about Rob until the next year. Rob averaged, you know, five, six, seven points as a sophomore. And then when he went and got into AAU, he started playing really well. And so that's when I, I did not see him play a sophomore year. Um, but I watched him in the spring and I watched him. Um, so that was after his summer. The thing that I, the thing that I, like, I've went and seen some guys. There was a guy on his AAU team once. Um, that I went and saw one time and get 45 in a high school game. And I didn't like him 45, 45 is a good number. And I didn't like him. And I walked away and I was always like, kind of trust your instincts, but go back. You got to go back and watch that guy again. I saw Rob play in AAU and I remember loving him and he didn't score. And I was like, man, that's a good player. That's a good player. Because I knew like once we got him, he could shoot and he did shoot, but he always deferred to other people when he was with good players, which is not the worst quality in the world. 
Um, but we knew we could get him from a confidence standpoint by just encouraging him to shoot and then getting after him when he didn't shoot and then just trying to build that up that we believed in him. And obviously he could, so that, that was easy. I want to talk about the Kingwood Classic. I feel like you were involved a lot the year where it was like total chaos, like Brum speech yep. about the Titans. Who who were you with? Was that was that with uh, Royce Waltman? Royce, Royce Waltman, okay. And Royce Waltman comes that? back, and I didn't what hear the speech when you guys were away, and Coach Brum was was giving you that speech. Um, I'm not sure like what, what Coach Waltman said when he came back. He talked about some battle. He goes, I could have swore that I just heard. Coach Brum talking to those guys over in the corner about the battle of something. I don't know what the battle it was. was the intergalactic war of the Titans. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and boys came back. And, and like you got to understand, Jeff. Like you're like you're delirious. And so like they're playing games at eight. It was before they put the restriction on the start time and the finish time. Yeah. And like Robin, those guys like started the game like at eleven fifteen. There was a fight. Um, yeah, you know they're having cool. little speeches in the corner motivational speeches about war and it's like you're in Houston, Texas in the back gym and and it was like you're everybody's delirious like you're watching games and you you know you've had about seven sodas and you're just drinking <laughs> oh, like, I remember. With caffeine like but it's like oh my goodness and like this is all going on and it was pretty good basketball that's what like people don't like understand like sometimes and you get some of those AU, people give such a negative piece to it but like the high level basketball in AU you know, man, it's it, it, it can be pretty exciting. I will never forget, because we had lost to the Southern California All-Stars who had Kevin Love and Brandon Jennings and Renardo Sidney in pool play. And then we lost to Nike Team Florida. It was like Calathis, Chandler Parsons, yeah. Solomon Allaby, like good players, good teams. And Brum had just ripped us apart in a phone booth in this like Wyndham in Houston. Like basically it was like, we're going to be good after you guys. You guys aren't, aren't shit. Like, I mean, he went off and then he gives us this, he tries to build us back up and he tells us this story about the battle of the Titans and how this intergalactic war like raged and how we have to channel our inner Titans. And we go out and play the New York Metro Hawks who are like Corey Stokes, Corey Fisher. What was the big, the big kid's name? Christian, Christian Morris. Christian, Christian Morris, Morris, who I saw rip a backboard down at the Peace Jam. Beast. And I'll never forget Scott Martin. There was like four or five texts in that game. Scott gets an N1, like starts to talk shit to some guy. Immediately, four dudes surround him and are ready to like beat the hell out of him. And like, they're, I mean, it's like crazy trash talking. My mom and dad are at the game and like things escalate to where the police get called and and, like they're coming because I think the the Metrohawks coach like took the ball from the ref and chucked it at him and hit him in the face. Because he called the game because there's so many texts. And I, I'll never forget, the game gets over at like 1.30 in the morning. We got to play the next morning at 9. And my mom's like getting some of our guys out of this like brawl. And like getting them into cars. And I remember we went through the, the drive through at McDonald's and ate McDonald's. And then literally woke up the next morning at like 7.30 and went back and, and played in the quarterfinals. Like that, that is chaos. Oh. That is truly chaotic. So – Give me – well, first of all, Rob, Rob you wanted to – right, didn't you have something on uh, Paint and his relationship with both Bob and, and Pat Knight? I didn't know this, Paint. You you grew up with Pat? No, no. We, we played AAU together, and I was the only person on the team north of Indianapolis. So I would always drive the two hours from Muncie to Bloomington. 
And then eventually I just stayed there. So I, I would, I stayed at Pat's house with his mom and his parents had divorced by then. So, so coach Knight obviously wasn't, wasn't there, but you know, he was obviously around. So I grew up a diehard Indiana fan. My whole family went to Indiana. Um, my grandfather, my grandmother, my uncle, my dad, my brother, all on my dad's side went, my cousin, um, all went to Indiana. So we grew up like we were Indiana fans. My dad went in 76 and 81, uh, to Philadelphia for the final four. He took me in 87 to Louisiana when they beat Syracuse. Um, he went to the Rose bowl when Indiana, last time Indiana went to the Rose bowl, they, they play, uh, OJ Simpson and USC. Um, so like my dad was a, you know, obviously an Indiana grad got his judicial degree from Indiana. Um, so he would, so Bob Knight just would have offered me. It just would have been, you know, it just would have been over. And I just would have sat down there at the end of the bench and kept fouls and timeouts during the games. But it was great that he didn't offer me. And he did recruit me because I would have went there and it wouldn't have. I wasn't better than those guards. And so it really worked to my advantage. I waited till the spring. But, no, I had a um, – Pat and I were friends. Tim Knight coached our team. And so it was, it was an interesting summer playing AAU basketball there. Um, but also kind of being around assembly hall a little bit. I played some like play pickup and, you know, the one story I always tell and Rob has heard me tell this story is, you know, you, you, you can talk and want to do something, but then once you're kind of around somebody, like when coach Katie started recruiting me, like I was just floored how nice he was because the only thing I saw him was him going crazy in games, like losing his mind, like in 87, 88, that time period, like they, they won big 10 championships and I'd watch Purdue and I was an Indiana fan. So I rooted against Purdue. I hated Purdue. And so I was down there and I was playing like we were kind of circling the wagons about our summer. And I was down in the cave at Indiana and coach Knights and like their cave was like where their, where their couches and stuff are, where they watch film, the showers, just kind of the coach's room. And he was there and we walk in and Pat says, you know, come in here. My dad wants to see me. We'll talk to him. I'm like, oh, man. And I'm scared. Like, I'm like, oh, I, you know, I don't want to be around. Like, but I want to go there. And he hasn't offered me. But he's called me a couple of times on the phone. Like, Coach Knight had called me. One time he called me at 730 in the morning. And he just says, well, you don't seem like you're too interested. And I just said, well, Coach, for the first couple minutes, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize it was you. I kind of thought it was a prank. You know, like, he's going to really, like, Bob Knight's really going to call me. And, like, it's like, no, like, you know, it's me. You know, listen up. You know, like, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is way to go. Like, you've really made a great impression here. You more or less said it was one of your buddies pulling a prank. So now we're in this cave and we're sitting there and he's talking. And the whole reason was Pat wanted his dad to call Howard Garfunkel to get us both into five star, but to have us rooming together. And like why he had to do that or how the details, I'm not sure. It's, you know, over 30 years ago. And so they get on the phone and you can only hear Coach Knight on the phone because he's talking to Howard Gar- Garfunkel. And Howard Garfunkel puts him on hold, all right? And <laughs> you can see how this is going to go. And he was now flipping it back on him. He hangs up on him. So then Howard Garfunkel calls him back. He hangs up on him again. But each time he was asking him, hey, is that Ronald Reagan that was on the other end of the phone? He says, if it's Ronald Reagan, then I'm cool. Like, you should take the president's call. But if it's anybody other than Ronald Reagan, like – why are you putting me on hold? And so like, but you can only hear what coach Knight was saying. And I'm just sitting there like, Oh man, like this isn't going to go good. Cause we still got to get to the conversation about getting us into five star. And my dad was like, Hey, like, I know Pat and his dad are going to help, you know, get this going. He goes, but we need to, you know, you need to get in there. It's, 
And so kind of a long story short, like Pat just kind of turns and just says to his dad after he goes, Hey, like, you know, we want to get in this or whatever. And he goes like, you know, painter came here and he wants, and coach Knight quickly said like, I don't give a damn what painter wants. And I was like, Oh, Oh man. Like, like I just want to like excavate the floor and jump in. Like, just like, like, where can I hide? Like, where can I go? And I'm scared anyways. And so like, and he sat there and then they, they kind of talked about a couple different things and it kind of cooler heads prevailed. And, and then, and we ended up not going because Pat and I ended up playing a lot more on our AAU team and just kind of the exposure there. And Pat, I think Pat did end up going, I didn't go. I ended up, I was playing and, 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 and so I, I don't know how it all actually happened, but that was a, that was always a, it was kind of a neat summer, but it was also a learning experience too. You stay in touch with Pat. Yeah. Not a lot as much as like when we, like in college, like when he was coaching in college and I was, we cross paths and stuff like that, but we text and actually his mom texts me all the time. Really? So it is, yeah, his mom has stayed in contact and she was great. Like, you know, do you think about like putting somebody up for a whole summer and you know, like, you know, she was a great lady. Yeah. Pat's, uh, Pat's nuts. My, my, my only Bob Knight. Well, I had a couple Bob Knight stories, but my, my favorite one was, I don't remember how we ended up, but we ended up going to the Carnegie deli. There were about five of us after a game in New York city one night that he was commentating it had to be 10, 12 years ago. And I was young, you know, kind of broke into business probably a few years earlier and we go and I'm sitting right across from him. It's him, and I'm right across from him. We're there for at least an hour, probably an hour and a half. And Garf was there, too. Gary Parrish was there. I was there, and probably one other person, maybe. It might have been Slice. might have been Barry Rorson. Mm-hmm. And uh, literally, I'm not kidding, an hour and a half, the dude never even looked at me. Didn't say anything, never even looked at me. And I'm right across from him. It was like I was a fucking ghost. <laughs> Never even looked at me. And I like tried, you know, like I might have tried to make small talk with him at one point and then realized like, no, it ain't happening. So yeah. I, I they, uh, we went one time and, and like they reached out to Pat when I was there in the same summer and they said, you know, your, your dad's looking for you. And so we go and find him on the golf course. So we get a cart and we go out to whatever hole and he's out there and the same thing. And he's, he's warming up, hit a ball and he's starting to talk to Pat about, and I'm just sitting over there once again, like I'm just one to like, man, like, don't get in the fray here. Like, just sit here. And and I'm not trying to get eye contact with anybody or, like, and I, I could I, – I don't remember who's with him, you know, who's golfing. But then he turns to me and he says, you know, when you go baseline and you drive and you make that pass over your shoulder and you flip that ball in your shoulder when you drive baseline? I go, yeah. And he goes, you need to make a rectal deposit with that. <laughs> and I go, Okay. And he goes, do you know what that means? I said, yes, sir. I, I, I 100%, I know what that means. And I just was like that. I'll never, I've never heard somebody use that terminology before then. I've never heard someone use that terminology since, but I got the point. And then I get what's, what's ironic is when I got to Purdue. So then I play my senior in high school, obviously I sign at Purdue and go there and coach Katie talks about, if you drive the ball in the base, you better score or you're going to get stuck down there. He goes, stay off the base unless you've got the game to score on the base. And I would go to the baseline and like, just get myself in trouble and just, you know, and, and, and like that would just resonate with me. Like, Hey, coach, coach Knight was trying to help me. And he was very direct about it. 
the rectal deposit. That's, yes. what, I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to call it. With, with real real quick, Jeff. Coach, am I remembering this right? When we were playing, I want to say that Minnesota, Coach Knight called the game. Yes. Am I remembering this correctly, that he told you at shoot-around or practice that if he was coaching, he would have all of our good players? Did he say yeah. that what, what he said was, you, you have taken the guys that I would have taken. So it wasn't, like, it wasn't like if I was coaching, I would have no, one of your players. No, no, no. He, like that. Okay. I knew he this is a great story, and I know we've kind of gotten to this trilogy of Coach Knight here, but he, he just simply said, you're smart. He goes, you, you, you've done a good job. You've taken smart players that have some deficiencies, but their deficiencies aren't their skill level or their IQ or their competitive spirit. He goes, and, and it, that's really all that matters. He goes, people look at guys and they rank them. He goes, We're, it, it's not track and field. It's basketball. Like you got to, you know, and so he just started, he just rambled about it forever with me. And it just made a whole lot of sense. And then he was at the final four and it wasn't when we, we had saw him the time that you got that award at the final four. Um, it was like a year or two after, and it was kind of in the same setting where I was in like, the back of a, I don't know what I was doing. I don't know if I was coaching one of those like Reese all-star deals or whatever the heck they were doing. I'm, you know, I was doing something for the NABC, but I was just around on one of those days where they don't play a game. And he, and, and he comes up and smacks me on my back and like hits me. Like, I don't see him coming. And he just looked at me and like, he like scared me. And I looked around and he goes, Hey, what I tell you about not taking guys that were intelligent said, you got away from that, didn't you? And then didn't wait for my response and just moseyed on like, but it was like, that was his way of like, Hey man, you've taken some guys, you've taken each one more and Jawan Johnson and Rob Hummel and Chris Kramer and like, you know, guys that know the game and like, you know, and now you've turned around and taken more of an athletic guy and you've gotten away from some of those other things. Um, which I, I, you know, I mean, you, you don't have time to argue with the man about it, but it's like recruiting isn't picking also, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like, like, where would I have gone if you didn't come to Purdue? Like I, I got to go get somebody else. And that plan definitely wasn't going to be as good as the plan that had you involved in it. And so like, sometimes people don't understand that. They look at you like, what are you doing? You're like, well, like, you know, you try to get like, we all wanted Derrick Rose, like, you know, but he's only going to go to one school, but you got to realistically be able to recruit people. Like we can't get Derrick Rose. And I understand that. So I'm not going to waste time there, but there's people you have a chance to get that you don't get, but it was still something that resonates with me because he's dead on. He's right. He's right. Cause he would take some guys that would fit into roles. And that's something that I've always tried to do. Now, sometimes guys don't like that, but that's what leads to winning. And I always talk about the NBA and like, I, you know, like I really understand the NBA. I've never been in the NBA, but I do sit there and watch the guys that can accept their roles and play and help their teams win. And they help that organization, but they also help themselves. And like, sometimes guys don't understand that um, about that, but I've tried from a recruiting thing and saying like, why can't we get the best shooter in the Midwest? You know, why can't we get guys that understand the game? Like we, like, like Chris, Kramer, like, is still playing basketball. It's amazing. You know, to me, that's yeah. amazing. But, you know, he understands how to play. He's competitive. Like, what else? Like, sure, you want to be a little bit better in other areas, like, so you can get to that elite level. But you're still a really, really good pro. And you've done – He's had an amazing things. career. He, amazing career. He, but he's he got totally a lot of things him. that people don't look at sometimes when evaluating like he just he has a good yep. make he can he's like you like you can affect the game without scoring even though you scored more 
Give, give me your favorite uh, Coach Katie story. Give me your most memorable, the 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 one that stand, will always stand out to you. Oh, I got a lot of them. I got a lot of stories. Um, you know, the thing that I take the most from him was how honest he was. And, and he never, even though he would say things that hurt your feelings, and I suppose I did, I do the same or I did the same. Um, but you never left feeling like he's like trying to get one over on your shortchanging. Like he was just a direct, you know, like I said, like a man's man. Like he just was in like, you didn't want to let him down. Like that's something that, you know, I, I think if, you have that quality as a coach. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. It's like, I just, I, to this day, I don't want to let him down. I, I feel the same way, you know, about my dad, my mom, like, you know, my parents, like, I don't want to let them down. Like I always say that to our guys, like, you know, like, do you care like about letting your parents down? You care about like, 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 what does this mean to you? Like have some pride in your family, like have some pride in your city, have some pride where you're from. And he just had a lot of that with him. But, um, they were 15 and 16 my senior in high school, and they had good players. And they'd won the Big Ten in 87 and 88, and then 89, they took a step back. And then in 90, my freshman year, I didn't play, rightfully so. And we were the second team in the Big Ten, and we were a two-seed in the NCAA tournament. And we started the season, and he was out of his mind. He was – I mean, I, I'd call my dad and say, this Gene Cady is the best. He's, the, he's throwing his coat. You should hear what he's saying to these officials – like I'm in the huddles and like listening. It was like coaching one-on-one, like, but like he had us so amped. I say us, I wasn't getting in games, but um, I was slapping the board and layup lines. And he, uh, he had us so amped to play and we would practice for three hours. And it would be like, I'd be looking at the clock when I first got there. I'd be looking up at the clock, like going, Hey man, I, I think that thing's going backwards. Like, you know, you get in biology class and you look up and you're getting out at two forty-five and it's two thirty. And then you look up and it's, I mean, it's 2.15. The clock's going backwards. Like you just feel that when you're like dreading something. Like they were so hard. I was 6'6", 175 when I got to Purdue. Okay. I benched like 160 or 165 one time, something in there. Like I was so physically weak. And so like getting through the practices when I first got there, it was like, it was just a chore in itself for me. I mean, it was so hard, but you learn so much. And he was into it. Like, he was so competitive. He told me about Coach Knight. He just says, let me tell you something. You like Indiana and you want to go to Indiana. He goes, and I respect that. He says, because Bobby Knight wins. He goes, Bobby Knight graduates his players. And Bobby Knight doesn't cheat. He goes, and I got a lot of respect for that. He wow. goes, now I want to He goes, now I want to kick his ass. He goes, and you can come here and you can help us do it. He doesn't want you. He goes, I want you. He goes, you come here and we'll, we'll go down to Indiana. We'll kick their ass. And I was like, oh, okay. You're like on your visit. You're like, oh, okay. Just want to put it like that. And I was like, told my dad, I don't know if I want to go to Purdue, but man, I want to play for Gene Cady. I told my mom, I'm like, hey, this Gene Cady guy, he's, he's, I feel the same way today. He's 84 and I'm 50. You know, we talk two, three, four times a week. Yeah. But like, he just was, to this day, if like you say, what do you think? What's the first thing you think about when someone says Purdue? Gene Cady. That's what I think about. I don't, I don't yeah. care how things progress for the next 15, 20 years. That's what he was our school and he embodied our school. And, and we have a blue collar, great education, great people, and all the things that he stood for. It was Purdue University and it still is. Coach, what were you like as a player? Because as a coach, you always preached like make the right play, 
right? The easy play. Rumors yep. have it that I've heard that there was some serious like flash to your game. Yes. Yes. Like some Come of the on. like fake passes behind guys' heads and they'd yeah. like turn and then shoot. Is that is that accurate? That's more high school. Yeah. In high school, yeah. I was kind of I was kind of a high school hairy, yeah. Were you really? Yeah, I yeah. French pastry. Wow. Trying to yeah. So it's not something you're proud of as a coach because like you get people to like to like we like Rob will tell you like we're working on stuff like jump stops all the time. Like we're always exactly. like trying to like they don't go together. Like, yes, like it does not go together. Jump stops. And I always say this, like I don't know if I'd take somebody like myself. Like that's just like to me, like you like I just I just think you gotta be better than that. Like I just think you gotta have a better player, to be frank with you. So, so you gotta be able to self assess a little bit. But no, it's I, I think it, you you learn hard lessons. Like you learn like what you wanna do and how you wanna play isn't always the best thing for your team. And that 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 contrast. Like I, I talked I openly talk about it. Rob can tell you this. Like I openly talk about when guys get in trouble about me being social. Like I was a social person. Like I went to parties. I did like, and so I'm like, Hey man, I, I understand where you are, but like, you know, where's your priorities here? Like where, where are we getting here? Like you let the social piece take over and now you're directing your life through that. Like you're going to make some poor decisions here. Like, so I, I try to talk about some of the things that I went through as a college student and just to try to leave out the hypocrisy of everything that goes on. And like, when I was a kid, like, man, you, you're doing the same thing we were doing. Like, I, so I just try to say like, what you're doing is like, I was doing the same thing. I was doing a better job of it because I didn't get caught like you did, but I was doing a way better job in that sense. Like you're a fool and you keep getting caught. And so, um, but no, it was, yeah, that was, I was loose like that, but I, the best thing I could do was pass. And so like, that was when I would had Conzo and uh, Glenn Robinson on the same team, that was my best year because I had learned by then to keep it more simple and I wasn't as good as we had another guard named Matt Waddell was a lot better than I was, but I just learned to try to get it to, to those guys and, and get out of their way. And, but you find yourself open when Glenn Robinson's on the court and he's on your team. And so if you can't make a couple open ones, like, so I, you get a couple more open shots and that, that helped me a little bit. And so I have, I have four years at Purdue. I played zero, 12, 20 and 30 minutes in four years. So I got a good feel of kind of what everybody goes through. And I try to, when guys have to go through similar situations, I try to kind of discuss those things, but it's kind of the, the metamorphosis of changing to not what you want to do, but what's best for the team. And I try to like, just be as honest and straightforward um, about that. Rob was kind of a different um, type in that sense is that you had to get him to be aggressive. You had to get him, you know, he was always trying to make the right play. And it sometimes just, you know, let it hang out, like shoot the basketball more, be more aggressive. But, you know, he, he, you know, that wasn't his natural instinct. What was it like? Uh, you're a junior in the big dogs, right? He was a prop. He didn't play. Correct. He's allowed to practice that whole year, Matt, with you guys? No, no, he couldn't practice. Couldn't do anything. I, got, I have a great story about that. Like, our managers and him played intramural basketball, and I coached him, and we got beat. So it just shows you how good of a coach. I couldn't even win an intramural championship with Glenn Robinson on my team. So they ran like a, a high school team came to Purdue together and they played them. We got to them like in like the quarterfinals or the semifinals, it wasn't the championship and they ran plays and stuff. And we only had one play it was good at the Glenn Robinson, get out of the way. It's intramurals. And they weren't even breakaway rims. So when he dunked it and like the goal shook, it was on those hard rims. I'd be like, Oh my goodness. I'd always come back and be like, tell the coaches. I'd be like, 
hey, man, like this, this guy is for real. I went on a summer trip that next year, and Bill Foster was our coach from Northwestern, and Bill Dylan was the assistant. And all those guys were talking on like about stuff, about the players and who was the best or whatever. And I just said, hey, man, we got a guy coming getting eligible. I said, he's better than all of them. And I said, I know Chris Weber and Juwan Howard and all these guys. I said, they're great. I'm just telling you, man, he's, he is so good. Calvert Chaney, Jim Jackson, Steve Smith, like the big 10 was good. And I was like trying to argue to these guys and I'll never forget, you know, those coaches from Northwestern, like nodding their head, like, yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty good. Like, yeah, I said, I'm telling you. And then they got into the intramural story and I said, yeah, we actually lost an intramural championship and I coached them. <laughs> That's not a good thing. No, it's not a good, it's not a good way to start your coaching career. No, no definitely not. What, what's, Hey, does he still come around Purdue? Is he? He's of- down in Atlanta. Yeah. He's down in Atlanta. Yeah. We, we, we don't, his son played football here. We had seen him when his son was here. And obviously when his other son played at Michigan, when they came in here, he came for a couple of those games. His so. other son is like the best kid in the world. Oh yeah. He literally is like the salt of the earth, like the best. Yep. Yep. I'm happy for him, man. He's been able to stick and yep. he's done some good. He, who's he with now? The Kings? Yeah. I think he's with the Kings now. I think so. Yeah. I looked his stuff up about a week ago. I think he's with the Kings. Yeah. Coach, do you remember the conversation? You might not remember this, but do you remember our conversation in Cairns, Australia, after the game? Do you remember what happened? Um, I remember something happened with Nemia. Nemia and Green. So Marcus Green and Nemia Chalice. And so I, I think they were complaining about, like, minutes or, or like, playing time, and, and yeah. you had gotten into them. And we get back to the hotel, and this is in August after, after freshman year. So we're going into my sophomore season. And I remember you pulled me aside in the lobby. And you told me, you've got to get this shit figured out. Because this season is swirling down the drain. <laughs> it hadn't even started yet. <laughs> I remember, like, you said that I worried a lot. You talk about just being like, oh, my God. Like, do you remember this conversation? I, I don't. Remember some I don't. Stuff. I remember I remember losing my mind and Nimenez complaining. And I, you know, like you get in those gyms and you get mad and you say something and it gets quiet at the wrong time. You're like, yeah. you know, you have to be really careful. Like, and like, I, I obviously wasn't, and I'll never forget this. I said something. And I looked up at my daughter looked right at me and I looked right at her and I just said, God, what are you doing? Like have like, just have a little control. Like who cares? It's the last game of the trip. But I was just like, I knew what we had. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I knew, like, I wasn't a fool. Like, I knew, I, I knew we had the right pieces. I knew we had the right things, but we had to have everybody together. Like, we had to have that. And it wasn't from you guys. It was like, once again, it's, it's that role definition. It's like getting the other guys to come, like, but yeah, I, I remember a little bit. It was bit honestly hilarious. I think it's, I think it's so funny back, though. <laughs> I think this, the season's swirling in August and we August. haven't even started practice yet. Yeah. So we start that trip and they pick us like ESPN before our first game. You guys are down like in the lobby, like on the internet. It's back when like, you know, you had to go down the lobby and like wait for yeah. on the internet. And, and um, they pick us to win the big 10 ESPN does. And they pick us like seventh or eighth in the country, you know, it was after their freshman year and we go and play against, I don't yeah, Rob might remember. We go and play in front of We played the Sydney Kings first, or the the Sydney team. Yeah. And they just manhandled us. Oh, God. And they fouled us. And it just was like they were grown men. And it just, they just, you know, like in a pro game, it's just a pro game. Like, you know, in a college game, you don't get held like that. They just held you. 
And you're, we're like, Hey man, like we can't move. Like, and they're like tough. Like, <laughs> and we just get beat by like 16 or 17 yeah. and like, I'm mad about it. But then I'm also knowing like, like this is going to get their attention. Like we're going to like get like, we went two and three. Like yeah, we, we, we beat like the Australian. Institute. We only had two wins. We beat the, we beat the Institute. And they had, but they were all younger. It was Della Vadova. It was like, like Delhi and those guys. Yeah, and Brova. Like half of St. Mary's team, Della Vadova. Yeah, they were all on that roster. Uh, um, the kid from Washington State, the lefty, 6'8", that ended up being a good yeah, player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brock, uh, um, Brock Modem, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But we end up playing St. Mary's like your last year. Right. And a lot of those guys we played in the Institute, like two or three of them. I said half. I didn't mean half, but. Clint Schneidel. <laughs> yes. All those, those yes. Aussie guys. Yeah, they were all out there. They were good. And then we beat the team that we Griffin? beat there had Shane, who played in the NBA for the Timberwolves. For the Timberwolves, yeah, the white Shane, guy. he played in the Olympics. That's the game. Uh, where I can't remember his name. But each one had like 43 or something. He he killed. That's the game where Reed, Chris Reed was like a, a junior college kid. He got injured in warm-ups. He, he got hurt in warm-ups, thought he blew his knee out dunking. And no. he, like, never played. So I remember being on the bench, and Coach Payne was like, Chris, can you go? And Reed's like, he's about to start, like, crying. He's like, no, I can't go. And Coach turns around, and I'll never get Reed turns. He goes, fuck. Like, <laughs> Reed, the afterwards. He was so upset that, like, there's one moment to play in Australia. But to his defense, like, he had worked. I just, like, he came yeah. and didn't play. Like, he wasn't – good enough to play and I just said hey man like why don't you take a crack at it he was like what do you mean I go like you're not in very good shape like you don't understand what's going on like why don't you learn what we're doing how we go about it but why don't you just get in great shape and to his defense he did so he went and did yeah. all that and like that was his chance and then he <laughs> he gets hurt and warm up yeah, and like it all like he just did all that work for nothing but <laughs> that sucks hmm. Give, give me the give me the time paint that you were the most uh, pissed off at, at a a Hummel team, the, the the team whether it was probably the the Etuan Juan Rob team was that right Rob? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rob, Rob told me a story. He's he's got one here for you. So he I like here's uh, let me explain myself here before he gets because I'm pretty sure I know what he's getting to, like. I'm probably the last person in the room to get mad about things, but then I'm the last person to get over it. Like a 10 year old. Like I'm just, I'm that's I'm, to this day. Like I fight myself off of that, like human behavior trait. Like I'm like, I'm like so embarrassed. Like I'm like, I'm that way, but I'm that way. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm a very, very patient person. But once I, once I get there, and then, like, I'll come back and, like, these guys will say something. And Rob will say, like, you said this, you said this. I'll be like, man, I didn't say that. Then all of a sudden, like, Bobby Riddell or Mark Wolf would be like, no, coach, you said that. I'll be like, really? I said it? And they'll be like, yeah, you said that. He goes, and, and you said it a couple times. I'll be like, God, like, it's not like I don't believe him, but it's like, you know, it's I'm that way. And I literally, if you, like, put a lie detector on me and said, hey, did you say this, 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 this? I'd be like, no, I didn't say that. And that thing would not go off. But I probably said it. <laughs> if he said I said it, then I would say it. But that's the way I get. So when I get to that point, now it's like you try to talk to guys. You try to explain things to them. You try to get to that. And I have another uh, bad quality. I'm a counter. And so, like, you make a mistake or you do something, and you're someone I'm, I closely work with or 
you know, in a relationship with whatever. And I'll be like, I don't want to fight over things. I want to have a good time. I want to laugh. I want to have a good time, but I remember it. And then I let it go. And then something else happens two weeks later. And then I, I let that go and I'm cool. And I smooth it over and everything's good. And then two weeks later and it keeps going. And then all of a sudden like three to four months in my head, even though I don't want to do it, I got all those things in my head. And then once I get mad and I go, I can reel those things off. I have a great memory. And so, and it's just a terrible thing. Like someone's sitting there going, well, why didn't you just say something to me? Like when I did like to say, Hey man, like, why did you do that? Or like, just hash it out when it happens. Like, what's the big deal? And to me, it's just like, Hey man, everything's cool. Everything's great. But then I'll zip them all off at you when I finally get mad. And it's just like, it's just a bad, bad thing to do. And it's like, I go, why do I do? I always try to stop myself and it just all comes out. So when Rob sits here and talks, I can only imagine what's coming through the shoot here. Now, this is my, this is hilarious. I think this is really funny. Like the Oklahoma game, Jeff was there. He said he was covering it. And you, you got a tech, right? At the end of the game? No, there, I tried to. You tried to get a tech. They didn't I tried. Game. But the foul shots were egregious. It was like Blake Griffin, those dudes shoot like what, 48 and we shoot six. Yeah, something in there. I, I remember after the game, you were like, guys, I'm really proud of you. You fought. What happened out there wasn't right. You know, it's, it's one of those deals. We got to go home and get ready for Duke. Like you were really cool in the locker room. And on the plane home, I remember sitting next to Bobby Riddell and being like, man, Coach Painter was really understanding about, about the loss. And then the next day at practice, we come out to, to start and you're like, man, I go back and watch the tape and you guys don't do this. You don't do this. Like you rattle off like three or four things that you didn't like. You guys didn't play hard. And like it, it literally went from like you were not mad at us to all of a sudden. And maybe this was one of those deals because I do think that you are really good at like you know how to push buttons. Right. Like I've, I've been at practice where you're like, Hey, watch this. I'm about to go yell at this dude. And then you go and then you yell at him and you come back and, and you yeah. talk to me. And it, it was all like just, it's a motivational ploy as well. And I get that, but I thought it was so funny how you went from, man, we got screwed to all of a sudden. Nope. I go back to tape and you guys are bullshit. <laughs> I yeah. think like every guy I listen to, like I follow, like that coach forever always talks about like just shut up after a game. Like, just shut up. Like, because you rarely say things, especially in a loss, that you're going to really agree with. Like, you just do – you go back and watch the tape, and that's how you – you know, that's the facts. And so I've, I've tried to learn through the, <laughs> through the years of just trying to pump the brakes a little bit, you know. It's like right now for us is like we we're not very good in the first half, but yet we're pretty good in the second half. And it's like – and it's it's not driving me crazy, but it's just like – why do we have that pattern? Like, you know, it should flip-flop. Like, you should be good in the first half and bad. You'd like to be good in both, obviously. But, like, you try to figure things out and you can't get to it. And that's what, like, you know, you should give your halftime speech before the game then. Like, you know, you're obviously. But I think for me is that, like, I just want to teach guys and talk to them about what they're supposed to do. And at times I lose it. Like, I text Coach Owens the other day because they won two games in a row. I said, hey, get after their ass before the game because they're going to feel good about winning. I go, get them on edge. And, like, I don't even know why I didn't. I've never done that to him or whatever. And afterwards, they went by 20. It had nothing to do with me. And he says, hey, I appreciate that text or whatever. And I was like to myself, like, well, why don't you text yourself there? If you got the answers to the Miami of Ohio and you haven't seen them play once, like, how do you, like, like you know, get your get your team. So I try to do that. And then also we don't play good in the first half. And then we come out and play better in the second half again. And so, like, 
just trying to figure the things out. But you'd be amazed at the things that you say that like you go back and watch the tape and you're like, well, I, was, I wasn't even close to being right because it's such an emotional vomit is what it is. And that's where I get to that stuff is like going like, just leave it alone and wait till you really know so you yeah. can help those guys. I, I want to know from both of you guys, Payne, you can start with it, but how much both do you play the what if game? If Rob hadn't gotten hurt like he did with, with, with the ACLs and, and, and yeah. right not two, two successive years where I really thought you had a chance to, to win a national title in both of them. Mm-hmm. I, I don't play it to be honest with you. Like I don't look at that. I think, um, you know, I, I think the real shame would be if you don't have a successful career moving past basketball, like that's the whole thing. And I talk about it in recruiting, like having two dreams, like fools have one dream, you know? And, and so like he, he was, he did the best he could. You know, he was a great college player. He was great in adversity. Now he's, he's great in his profession right now. That's what it's about. Like that's, and Andy had a, I, I use Rob as an example all the time, not because he's in broadcasting, but he had a plan on what he was doing in broadcasting. Like he didn't get injured or he didn't tear his labrum and just go and, you know, lock himself down in my spare bedroom and never come out. Like, you know, he like had a plan. He's like, well, I guess I'll just go to the big 10 network and they'll give me, you know, some peanuts here for like, but that's what, that's what you do. Like when you start in a new profession, like that's where you start, like you start at the bottom, but in a short amount of time, like he got himself there, but I think it's probably, I know it's different for him. Um, I keep going. And so that's kind of what kind of keeps me going is that we haven't gotten there. Um, but I also don't want to get there unless, you know, with guys like him, I think that's also been for me, it's been hard because each one and Jawan and, and him and Kramer and, and that group, you know, Carl Landry, David T, like they set a pretty high bar. They, they set a high bar for a quality of player, but they also set up, they were good teammates. They were good guys. Like they were, they set a bar. So when guys will like look at me or someone's complaining or whatever, like, Hey man, I, I've seen the guys that are well-rounded. I've, I've seen the guys that are great teammates that are, I always use Rob as an example. I said, he's an all American, but he was a role player for us. He just was, he was a role player. I said, but he rebounded, he defend, he shot, he scored, he did everything. But if he didn't score and he had four points, like he wasn't in the locker room mad. He was, he was just as happy if he had, you know, 30 points or he had four points. And I said, so like, but the, that piece, when you have it like that, um, because you don't get a bunch, you don't get a bunch of cracks like that. It, it's hard, but as you, in time, you, you move on and, but that, I don't know that it's, I don't think that's going to be his answer. <laughs> Yeah, it's not. I, I I just it's tough because like as a kid, I loved the NCAA tournament so much. Like I remember coming home from school, like in elementary school, and just putting on CBS and watching the tournament from three fifteen when I got off the bus all the way to the, the late games at night for those Thursday Friday. Like I loved the tournament, and I I wanted to go to the Final Four. And I, I it stinks because I think my junior year, I have never been on a, a a better group of guys type of team like. I love Etuan Moore. I love Juwan Johnson. I, I love Keaton Grant, Lewis Jackson, Kelsey Barlow, even, even though he was, he's one of a kind. But I, I love it. And, and like Ryan Smith, DJ Burr. I mean, the list just goes on and on of guys right. that were really good players right, on that right. team. And, and like Coach said, like there's just not many opportunities you get to win like that. And with the way we're playing and 
Yeah, that's, that still stings. Like, I, I still have a hard time with that. Because I, I think looking back, like, if you had told me in high school, this is going to be your career, I'd be like, I'll sign up for that in a heartbeat. I get to play right. in the NBA for two years. But the second that I got to Purdue and started playing better and we started winning a bunch, I'm not really sure what I think about my playing career. You know, I, I think that's why the Olympics for three-on-three are a good thing for me. This can be a really cool ending. It also – might not happen. It will be like, like the rest of this shit has been, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. <laughs> but, you, but you've like, like you're defined through your adversity. Yeah, like a lot hard. of people don't like it. You, you can't control certain things. And so like, yeah, you no, can't control how you go through it. And like, you, you know, you handled it and like you dealt with it. Like it, it drove you crazy, but that's, you know, that's, that's just kind of, that, that's part of it. And that stinks because you don't even want to be like Jeff, like when he, when Rob went through the first thing with his knee. So like, I'm like, okay, no, what can I say to him? Like, what can I like? So I had like all these things and I reached out to people and talked to people. And so I said, I'm going to keep this short. I'm going to give him like three, four things and like kind of bullet points, you know, positive attitude and on and on and on. So then when he does it again, you know, you Rob more or less told me like, Hey, I, I can't look, don't give me that speech. <laughs> I go, no, I'm, I'm not giving you that speech again. Like, it's so like, I, like, like that, 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 was, that was like the blow. Like that was just like, you know, like that, that was hard. That, that was a hard one. I, I remember I was, I was going through an airport when I got a text from somebody that, that it was October, whatever, 15th, 16th, that first yeah. day of, of practice. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm running through an airport, probably going to midnight madness or coming back from it or something. And, uh, and I remember getting that text and I'm like, fuck, like, this is, this is not the story I want to break. Like, right. this is not the story. What you remember? I mean, you still yeah, remember that. We were playing Minnesota in football and is we were right? practicing the first day at the wreck. And there was like three NBA guys there. And it was, it, it was, yeah, it was a fast break drill. So I, it was one of those deals where it's like, man, I can't believe this is happening. And, but like, more than that, like to be able to come back and still be first team all league and then not have those guys. Like you got to understand, like Rob's in a perfect role and he's now not, he's now number one. He's now number one. And like, he was able, you know, we almost beat Kansas to go to the sweet 16. Obviously we beat a good St. Mary's team. You know, we get into the NCAA tournament. And so like, just for that to me was like, and then, you know, obviously the Timberwolves take him and they want to, send him overseas for a year. And then he's like, Oh, okay, whatever. You're not taking him back. Like, you know, you, you just, you can smell it. I'm like, man, come on. And then all of a sudden they take him back and he plays for two years. And, and, and so like, you know, he, he deserved, you know, that experience and that opportunities for everything that he went through. Listen, he comes into Boston against the Celtics. I'm there for the game. He starts, he starts against the Celtics. I'm like, Again, I mean, it, it is crazy. I mean, you you think about it, everything you had to go through, you never made excuses. And, and like Payne said, like you're on that team, you know, everybody else is gone. You're 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 coming back from two major injuries that have to be the guy on a team that really really three. wasn't ready. Yeah, really three with both with his knee right. twice and his back. Right. Yeah, I will to... say I have a good story about that Boston game. I uh, I started and true me this. He said that uh, I was I was guarding Jeff Green and like doing a good job of guarding him. And he's and Shrews is sitting next to Ray John Rondo, and Rondo says to him, "God damn, Jeff's getting checked by a science teacher out there," <laughs> <laughs> which I think is 
I mean, I, I thought you were going to like, I don't know, Rob, I don't know who it was, but Shrews always tells the story about one of the guys on the Celtics and they like, you did something like you, you hit a jump or you did something. And so I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he was like saying, Hey, like, you know, Hey, you got to stay with him. He goes, Oh yeah. Yeah. Humboldt. He said, Humboldt. And like one of the players <laughs> on the Celtics called you Humboldt. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And ever since then, it was like you know, I was, I was low on I was low on the scouting report. I was not I was not I was not a guy that they knew my name. You got the Coach, first. I, I know that you're on all these committees. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What'd you say? Oh, you had the first three letters right. I mean, he's like the humble. Yeah, he was close. Close he was enough. Close, close enough. <laughs> I, I know you're on all these committees. What, what do you think about I guess the transfer rule and what will college basketball look like if, yeah. if that goes through? Yeah, you know what, like. You try to be diplomatic because you're on there and you, you want to be professional, but at like every stop, like when they start to talk about things and how things are going to work and things are going to work, you get into the, the gray area of things or the unintended consequences of things. And that's where people don't have good, some good answers for part of like name, image, likeness and, and, and part of one-time transfer. You know, they're trying to keep things uniformed. I don't understand that. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, I just think that we, we're all separate entities in terms of like women's basketball, like they have a women's basketball oversight committee, the men's basketball oversight committee, which I'm on. We meet a lot together, like they're trying the uniformity, but I really think women's basketball needs to do what's best for women's basketball and men's basketball needs to do what's best for men's basketball. If it's the same thing, then great. But if it's totally opposite, then great. Like that's, I mean, you just need to, be able to do what's best. And I feel the same way about each individual sport. They need to do what's best for them, but there's this push for uniformity and it gets through the, what they're, what they're pushing. See, I think there's things in name, image, and likeness that I, that I like. I like that somebody can, Rob Hummel can have a Jersey with his name on the back and, and, and somebody else sells it and you get 20% of it or whatever the percent would be. And you get that money. Like, I, I think that's right. great. Like I think, but I also think it's going to create issues that, are already in place. Like people, when it first came out, I said, well, okay, is people going to stop cheating then? Is people going to, because the issue is we need to get people to stop buying players and buying 17. And there's 17 and 18 year old kids that are getting bought out there that have no idea they're getting bought. It's going through third party people. It's going through runners. It's going through agents. It's going through a lot of different people and they don't even know it. Now, maybe the kid knows it in some situations, but in some situations they don't. And you're seeing a lot of that kind of get uncovered with a lot of the, the stuff that's out there. And so like when we're doing this, like that's what we ultimately need to do. Like they're number one, like you can talk all these other things you want, but let's, let's try to get people from stopping to cheating or let's have a direct, you know, avenue. Like it's not hard. Like it's not hard to know. It's no different than any other, you know, crime that's being, you know, met criminals know what other criminals are doing. Like it's like, and so when you sit in here and it's like, let's clean this up. That's the one thing. So now when we go to these other rules and we're doing these things, like the one-time transfer, like to me, like you're giving these guys ultimate freedom. And people look at that like, well, yeah, shouldn't they do it? Like think about how much you gained as a person through your adversity. And a lot of what this is, is somebody not being able like if you go to a school and like you just did a poor job in your evaluation of the school and the coach, you're like, hey, like this guy's abusive or there's no way this style is going to work for me or I'm homesick. There is nothing wrong with transferring. There is nothing wrong with it. Like, but kids are transferring because they come from a culture of change. 
They leave their high school. They go to another high school. They go to another prep school. They go, they play for four AAU teams in four years. And they've changed. When something's went wrong, they've went somewhere else. Well, what are they going to do in college when they can they, – they change. They transfer They transfer anyways. Now when you can go one-time transfer, like what does that look like? And they say that they're helping the kid. Like when people go out there and say like, hey, man, you're helping that kid or whatever, I'm saying there's individual cases out there you're helping those kids. But in the whole, in the, in the, in the numbers, and the data, you're not helping them. You're not teaching them to deal with adversity. You're not teaching them to work through things. One of the pillars that I wanted with it that they, they shot down was making them, you can leave after your first year, but you got to sit out a year. But if you stay after two years, then you can use your one-time transfer. I like that. Yeah, but they won't do that. Yeah. And, and they wouldn't use that as one of the pillars because we're setting some guardrails to, to help the rule whenever, they, whenever it goes in, into play. But I just – how are you going to manage a roster at a low to mid-major school? Like that's not fair to those guys right. because when you're at a high major school or you're in an elite school, let's just go into a blue blood elite school. Where do you think these kids that transfer want to go? They want to go there just like, and then the next, like we're a top 20 program. So we're, we're next. Like we're going to get guys. We might lose some guys, but we're going to get guys. So I sit on those calls and I'm on, I'm on those calls and we have assistant commissioners from leagues um, we have commissioners from leagues. We have ADs from leagues. And they're in low to mid-majors. I said, Purdue's going to lose some guys, but Purdue's going to get some guys. Right. You know, Kentucky might lose a guy here and there, but Kentucky's going to be the on top of that list being able to get those transfers. Duke's going to be able to get who they want. North Carolina's going to be – high major schools are going to be able to clean up there. And then when we start talking about the success of low to mid-major people that are successful that go to high major, more times than not, They struggle because they don't have time to adjust because when you're that high scoring guy at a low to mid major school, you know what traditionally you're not doing? You're not doing those little things. You're not guarding. You're not, you're not playing that role. And now when you come to this level and you go on a really good team and now you have to start doing some of those things to get yourself on the floor, it's going to be a little bit dicey. It's going to be a little bit dicey. It's going to be harder. So I don't, I'm on it. I'm trying to be as diplomatic as I can be while I'm on it. And it's really hard for me because I just, I, I want to do what's best, you know, for players in general. They look at it like, oh, you just want to win at Purdue. You want to do this. Man, come on. Come on. Like, that, that's, that, that's not what, you know, you're going to be able to recruit at a high major level and get players. But you're, you're, you're going to hurt, you're going to hurt the lower rung of, of high major schools more than, than, than you think, too. You just are. Because everybody wants to go to the tournament. Everybody wants to get in. Not everybody can. And now the thing that I would say about low to mid-majors, see, I grew up in Muncie where Ball State was. And so I saw Dan, you know, Marley come through Central Michigan. You know, you see Ron Harper come through Miami of Ohio. Like, you see, like, all those players. Kenny Battle was at Northern Illinois before he went to Illinois. So you see all these guys that come in. And then you see the teams that get into the NCAA tournament. Like, let's take Buffalo two, three years ago, just how good they were. Like you're diminishing, you're diminishing the chances of being that good at that level like Buffalo was. So you're going to get your guys in the MAC where you're going to have your team that's really good. And, but like, do you have four to five teams like that? Like when the MAC was rolling, their third or fourth place team win, win the league. They're going to go win a turn. They're going to go win a game in the tournament. You know, like Bucknell beating Kansas. Cause they're like, older, Payne. They're older. They're older. That's but now when you're, when you're shuffling, see, the thing they don't have is, 
People always say, oh, you have experience. No, experience isn't that important. Experience of having success is. That's that's what's important. But now when you've been with guys for three or four years and you play and you do that and you grow, that's special. That's what a team is. And I, I say on those calls all the time, I go, March Madness is those upsets. 100%. March Madness is those upsets. That's what it is. It's what it's all about. It's what That's what everybody's looking forward to. It's what – and you're just going to diminish that. There are going to be less and less of that. And why would we want to do that? Why would we want to do that? We, it's March Madness is special. Why would we want to do that to those schools and just look at them and, j- and just look at all the, all the examples we got out there of those teams winning games and, and how we all rally behind them. Like I don't rally behind them right now because like they, they'll beat us like Little Rock. Little Rob. Little Rock beating us in the thing. That's what it's about, man. Sure, we should moment growing up in Valpo is Bryce Drew. Right. That, that's his moment. That's something that, that you will forever remember as a kid. You know, I went to Arizona and all those three to four saying, years. They, were they all, lost they in the were first round. Yeah. yeah. And I remember that. Yeah. I remember, you know, Miami of Ohio. Yeah, I remember what, Arizona beat them by Yeah, what Arizona beat Valpo by 45 points. I mean, killed them. Like killed them. And then two years later, they almost beat Boston College. who had like Troy Bell in, mm-hmm. in like one of those four thirteen games. And then the next yeah. year, they're able to, to get Ole Miss. Yeah. yeah. Matt, how worried are you? I had Dan Gavin on last week. Rob flaked on me and, and went to the chiropractor or something and bailed on me. I'm so I had, to, my I had to carry right. it myself. No surprise. But I, but I asked Gavin, I said, listen, you know, why aren't you guys – spending the money, putting in $100 million or $75 million or whatever it is to have a real bubble with this tournament because I am worried. I'm worried that, that a team is going to get knocked out, a key team, a key player. And right. he basically said, listen, number one, um, we're, this is not an event that we're going to be able to pause. Number two, we have 70 other NCAA championships to run. So basically we're not going to spend the money because – we want to keep as much money as we can and, and, and we have to take care of those other 70 uh, championships. How, how concerned are you that this NCAA tournament is going to be a, a little bit of a cluster? Well, I, I think there's going to be, you know, and Dan always talks about it, like, you know, it's not going to be perfect, but don't like, it, it's still going to be good. I love Dan. I love him. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's fabulous. Yes. And, uh, and we're in great hands with him. And yep. I, I think the one thing, that he brings, you know, to, to the table with it is he's always thinking about the game. Like he's always thinking about what is best for the game, what is best. And he's, he's in a, you know, where we're fortunate to have him. And, but, but I, but I think, and that's his statement about that. And I agree with that. Like this is, we don't need to beat it up just, but I don't know how outside of what you're saying, like, I, there's no other way to do it. And if you don't want to put that kind of money into it or you don't have it, like, it's it's not my place to say on that. Like, I can sit there and talk all day about a one-time transfer because I got a strong conviction and I got a feel for it with, you know, 28 years of coaching that I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right for the players. I don't think it's right collectively. But this right here is just, you know, this is the outlier, this yep. pandemic. And this is like, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any perfect answers. And I always like, and I, I don't know who, I think Rothstein does it about, he always, like, I'll say, golly, another team went down. Another team went down. And then he puts up there how many teams are playing this week. 
Yeah. And it's still always a really high, like 88 to 94% number. And like, I, like I, it confirms it with me. Like, yeah, that's, I did yeah, it today. Still a lot of people playing. Let's I keep going forward. Week. And the number, the number of teams that have played uh, at least one game this past week, I just did it. I've done it every week. And it's about the same every week now for the last month. The number of teams that have played at least one game this past week was 84%. Yeah. The number of, of teams, the percentage of teams that have played two or more games this past week was 63%. It's okay. Like, it's not It's not great. It's good. Basically, about two-thirds of the teams are playing tw- at least twice a week. Right. It's solid. Right. Right. You know? Coach, how, how do you compare your, your current freshman to our freshman class with me, Etwan, Juwan? Are there similarities there, or, or is it just, um, are they different, but they're just playing a lot? Well, you know, two of them are red shirts. So right. I think that, um, for them, that really helped them. And see, like, I like, I like red shirting guys when they're in those positions just because, you know, you just don't have as much failure after you red shirt. You know, when you're a true freshman, like, you know, you, like, you guys were, outliers in this, but you also had each other. I think when you have a big class, sometimes like all the struggles, like all of our guys, like Zach Eady, you know, his minutes kind of fluctuated. depends on how well Travion plays, foul trouble, how well he plays, you know, um, Brandon Newman and, and Mason Gill is both, you know, redshirted. Um, but like, you guys are all like, like different players. Like nobody had, like each one could just score. Like, you know what I mean? Like you could just, after a while, after physically he was there, you could just score and you knew how to play. And then Jawan really didn't take off until that next year, even though he, you know, he, he still did good things for us. He still didn't like, he was a first team all conference the next year, which is, you know, right. which was crazy, man. He made an unbelievable jump, an unbelievable improvement, but um, Jay Nivey has a, a lot of ability, a lot of ability, very fast. Um, he's got, got a chance to be a, you know, a really good player. Brandon Newman the other night has 29 points, you know, a week ago, he had zero in a game, you know? And, and so like earlier in the year against Maryland, I just looked at that box score. He had 17. And so like he's Brandon's had some really good games. Mason plays, um, you know, extremely hard. Ethan Morton, I think of him as, you know, he hasn't gotten in really yet and had mono to start the season. And it's been, it's been kind of hard, um, getting him in and getting him in the, in, in the rotation just because you're at 10. Now you're at nine right there. And, um, but I, I think I highly as him as I do any of them, like I think he's going to be really good and uh, just got a knack how to play and can pass the basketball. Um, but, but it hasn't gotten the same opportunity. So it's really, you know, unfair to him, but um, not a lot of similarities just in the, the other pieces that they had, like you guys had, like Chris just helped you helped you guys out just so now you don't have to worry about guarding the best player like he just goes out and guards the best player lewis jackson and he's a screener and he's a good passer craig yes. just knew how to play he had a play. perfect person to play and then like lewis jackson coming the next year for you really helped because now he gave you the quickness we didn't have so we had terrence crump we lost him we got that that helped that piece of it um so but no they're um they're good players what's crazy is we have two guys that have signed with us and technically, next year they're all freshmen because okay. they get their year back. Okay. And so we have, so Rob, we have seven freshmen. And I just reeled off those five, and all five of those guys are good players. The two guys we got coming are good players. And so, like, it's going to be, we're going to have a great nucleus um, to really build. I think we can do some special things. 
So you, you've been around the Big Ten for how many years? Do you know? 21. 21 years. All right. Yeah, 21 four, years. four is a player, one is an assistant, and 16 is a head coach. Okay. People are talking this year like it's the best year ever in the Big Ten. Um, I'm not ready to go that far, Payne. I, I think it's really good. The right. depth of the Big Ten, to me, is damn, damn good this year. The depth of the Big Ten is the best it's ever been. The depth. Now, do we have, like, you know, the last team to win national championship in the Big Ten's Tom Izzo's Michigan State team, right? Yep. Is that correct? Yep. And so, like, do we have that? I, I think you can argue we have some Final Four teams. Um, you know, really, the way things have really – it never gets this simple. But you all – do you have a team in your league that can beat Gonzaga or Baylor? Like, it, to me, it never gets that simple. Like, but who can beat those two teams? Like, right now, we've all seen it, though. We've all seen it. Like, Georgetown got beat by Villanova. Right. Like, and I and I watched that game as a kid, and we all would have bet the farm on that one. We all would have bet the farm. And they beat them three times already that year. And so it was like, you can get against dominant teams. UNLV got beat when they had a dominant team. So can Baylor get beat? Well, sure they can. But can Gonzaga get beat? Well, sure they can. Because – are are either one of those teams, Larry Johnson's UNLV running Rebels, are either one of those teams like one of those Duke teams? Like, you know, are they like Patrick Ewing's Georgetown team? Uh, but college basketball isn't the same right. in 2021 yeah. as it was exactly. then. So that's different. So that, that analogy or that kind of that setup right there, like that's what somebody has to do. It's like when Michigan State beat Duke with, with Zion. Like that was a hell of a win to get to the final four. I mean, that was a hell of a win. That's big time. But you got to be able to make that statement and say, yeah, I think they can do it. Then they did it. But now can somebody from our league, you know, the thing, I like Illinois' toughness. Obviously they've stubbed their toe a little bit, but everybody has stubbed their toe. I like Iowa's, you know, you know, I think Iowa can, can, can do so many things. They got a backup point guard that, Illinois that can that can create off the dribble and do some things, but they got skill around there, and then obviously they got big fella. Um, I like the if you got the ability to outscore somebody, I think Illinois in the in the right situation can d people up, but they also can outscore people. I think Iowa can just flat out outscore you, right. and so Iowa needs to get healthy and, and, and get their shooter back, and to get one more gun in there to go along with you know with Garza uh, when you're looking at that. But Michigan came in here, man. They were they were damn good. They were damn good. Like you see teams like Big Hunter um, to go along with with uh, Livers and to go against Wagner, their size and their length. Then they got quickness at the guards. So they got good, long, athletic, interchangeable pieces. Um, they were so good offensively, execution wise. They were good defensively. And then like Wisconsin, you know, I think Wisconsin is going to be such a tough out in the NCAA tournament. Um, and I can keep going on. I can be like, I keep going down. Like Marcus Carr can get hot and just, you know, carry those guys into that. Oh, your league's week. good. Your league's yeah. really, really good yeah. here. Like but the depth of our league yeah. is the best it's ever been. Yep. Now, do we have like, we got to get in the NCAA tournament and, and get teams in the final four and have a chance to, that I think that, and that's okay. Like that's what, that's what's going to define you. That's what defines you. Like for us, like we've been to one elite eight, a handful of sweet 16s. That's what defines us. Like, you know, you, you have to be able to push through that threshold and, and go. And, and that's what we're trying to do. 
but it's hard. It's hard. You're going to run into some, some haymakers on the way. All right. We're, we're going to finish up with five rapid fire uh, question and answer. All right. Real quick. All right. Uh, I'll start it out. Um, when, when I used to come by uh, and watch those, those humble Etuan Moore, Juwan Johnson practices, yeah. I almost fell asleep. I mean, they were so goddamn long. They were like three and a half. And I'd be like sitting over there being like, when is this going to end? How, how long are the practices now? They're not, they're not as long. There's, there's still, um, we watch film for a while. We walk through, we stretch. And we, so we normally get started like 45 minutes to an hour. Rob always wanted to count that hour as practice. And I was like, we went for three hours. Like, no, Rob, we, we walk through, we stretch. We, yeah, he never said He anything. softened up on these guys. That's what it is. He's, so then they all, and Kramer, up. Kramer went on, uh, Ray Fell's podcast the other day and he said, Hey, Coach Payne's soft. He's soft, man. He's, he, he's, I'm like, come on, come on. Um, all, the, all the former, that's like the former players like anthem for every school. They, everybody yes. thinks their, their coach yeah, has fine. gotten soft. So I, I feel that way too. I want to ask coach, this was a staple of when you got upset back when I was playing. When was the last time you threw a ball off the backboard? It's been a while since I threw a ball off the backboard. I mean, it's been a while. We always like you didn't want to laugh because you didn't want to make you mad, more mad. <laughs> but it was kind of funny because sometimes you'd hit it like square. Sometimes you'd hit it off the side, and it would come just the ball would go like, yeah, it would sometimes come back to you. Sometimes it end up in the seats. Yeah. I want to know I when got the like last a, time you did it was. Yeah, I, I I couldn't even tell you. It's been a while. It's been a, you know, and I have a weenie arm too. Like um, we played dodgeball one time at Nebraska. This is in the I remember I was there. I was there because I had gotten hurt in Milan. I watched. Yeah, yeah. And so we played dodgeball, and Cliz is out there playing, and we're all out there playing. And, like, Dakota, like, is, like, sitting, like, right up there at the front, like, on the other team. And it's, like, bait me. I'm, like, man, I'm going to I'm gonna throw this ball and, like, knock his head off. Like, what's he sitting up there so close to me? And, Rob, like, I just grabbed the ball, and I was just, like, gave it everything I had and just threw it. I, I'm just going to – and Dakota just even flinched and just went, nope. Dakota just caught it. Just when I was, like – Oh my God, that was so bad. I was like, I couldn't believe it. Like, but no, I haven't, I haven't done that. Anymore. And it's not anything like intentional. Like I never said like, you know what? I'm going to get mad and throw the ball off the backboard. But like, I don't know. I just, I, I, I like that you did it though. I, I, I thought, <laughs> I think it's really funny looking back, but honestly, you have made such a good case for just the evolution of you becoming a little softer, practicing shorter <laughs> and no balls are flying off the backboard. I just, I miss the old paint. Oh, man. All right, so the, the toughest player you have ever played with or coached is who? The toughest player? Purdue, you're all about toughness. Who is the toughest mf or you have ever played with or coached? Uh, our academic guy, Todd Foster, doesn't feel yes. pain. He is. Uh, and, and so in terms of, like, having, like, an ankle. Player, like, player, like player. No, he, he did play. He played. He oh, played okay, 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 I got it. Academic guy, I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't get that one. Yeah, he was on staff. He coached on our staff, and he was our dobo for a year, and, and he, was, he became an academic. But he played. He won three Big Ten championships at Purdue. Just like, like doesn't feel pain. I don't know. He, his his he ankle would be like a shot put. He's a bull he wrestler. just like tape it up. He wrestles bulls. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's he does rodeo stuff. He's a he beast. I'm, yeah. I'm with this answer. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, you know, just from that fact, we've had a lot of tough dudes. Like, we've had 
you know, guys that play. You know, probably the toughest guy I coach um, at Southern Illinois is a guy named Tony Young. He's in high school coaching now. Like, just came to campus in a stance. I mean, just could guard all day long, would fight you. Ended up being a first-team all-conference guy there after I left. He, you know, he was trying to think of some guys that were just – I mean, we, we had a lot of guys that played hard, a lot of guys that were tough in, in, in that regard. But I'm just talking like guys that just – unbelievably resilient, but no, there, there's a lot. If I said somebody, it wouldn't be fair, but Todd Foster is a good answer. I mean, he's very good. Doesn't feel pain. I mean, everybody feels pain. Coach, when you were at Washington and Jefferson with coach Ryder and you're driving a forklift yeah. to make a little extra money on the side, did you ever envision like this whole thing playing out like this? No way. No way. I knew like I had to keep moving and meet new people. I knew that. So, like, I went one year with him, and we, we went to the Elite Eight, um, got beat by Wittenberg at Wittenberg. How about that? Playing an Elite Eight game in the Final Four. Let's play a road game. This is great. <laughs> and so, but, like, we played, listen to this, Division Three basketball. We're the last at-large team to go, and we were undefeated going into the NCAA tournament versus Division Three teams, okay? We got beat by Princeton, and we got beat by an NAIA team, which had scholarships. So we play Otterbein. This is 27 years ago. We play Otterbein at Otterbein. We play Kenyon at Kenyon. Then we play Illinois Wesleyan. Yeah, Illinois Wesleyan at um, at Wittenberg. And then we play Wittenberg at Wittenberg to go. And so they were hosting like the second weekend. Yeah, yeah. And so, but no, I, I never, I always felt like at Purdue, like Bruce Weber would be the next coach. But he got the Illinois job. If they wait one more year, Bruce Weber's the head coach at Purdue. Yep. If that doesn't fall, then that, that happens. And a lot of people don't realize how I got my opportunity at Southern Illinois is really just off of Roy Williams going from Kansas to North Carolina and then Bill going to Kansas and then Bruce Weber going from Southern Illinois to Illinois. Great. If he doesn't, if, if Roy doesn't leave Kansas, then that, it, it changes my whole career. Changes Bruce Weber's career. Bruce Weber becomes the coach at Purdue. Wow. Not yeah, that year, but probably things. the next year. Because they talked to him the year before that, and they said, Coach Katie has two years left on his contract. Would you come back and be an assistant for two years? And that was right after we went to the Sweet 16. And he says, I'm, I wouldn't do it for two years. Wow. I'd do it for a year. And then the next year came around, and that's when he got Illinois. So when that, when that proposition came back up, like – the following year after that, like that's when I was like, man, I was I was kind of floored. Like I was in the mix. Like when they when they offered me the Purdue, they didn't offer me the Purdue job. They set it up. It was weird. They set it up, and I was recruiting. We got beat in the first round of the NCAA tournament, and um, in Seattle, and we got beat by Alabama by one. And we flew back that night, and then I go recruiting the next day in Lexington, Kentucky, and I'm waiting outside of a school to go in and talk to somebody the next day. And their AD calls me and says, Coach Katie has been offered the San Francisco job. And he's thinking about taking it. Yes. Have you ever heard of this? No. Okay. He, he got offered. He's been offered the San Francisco job. Um, that's one scenario. Um, he's going to retire right now. That's a possible another scenario. Or he's going to coach his last year. And we're going to, you know, possibly bring you in to be the assistant for a year and then take over after. And so I said, well, can you repeat that last part? again?" <laughs> I was just like, like pinching myself. Like, so 
I said, well, if you feel good enough about me being your coach, if I'm assistant for a year, then why don't you feel good enough about me being your coach if he retires? And he goes, well, that's a different scenario. And we're going to bring in three or four guys. You're going to be one of them in that scenario. And so I said, let me just get it straight. So I'm good enough to be your coach. If, I, if I'm the assistant for one year, see, I tried to be, I tried to get on staff there with coach two or three times and, 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 and I did not get hired. And then all of a sudden like really? I hired as a head coach. And that was always my line when I spoke, like, you know, I, I tried to get on staff here two or three times as an assistant. So I'm not who, good enough to be an assistant. Hired, who, who got hired instead? What's that? Who got hired instead? Um, Jay Price got hired initially. Then they hired a guy by the name of Jim Thrash. Okay. And then they had another opening that came up and then Todd came in, Todd oh, came okay. in and then it was like in a way it was only going to be like for a year or so or something, something was there. And then he obviously was able to stand on for something changed. Um, and so like, yeah, that was always my, I just wanted to be coach Katie's assistant. It was like, in my first time I was just done with college and I just, it would not have been a good thing. That was a good move on their part. Yeah. That was a good move on there. I, I was not anywhere close to being ready to do something like that. So I'll, I'll end it this way. So, so for me, you know what I think of Rob, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'll tell anybody favorite player, favorite kid I've ever, I've ever been around. I, I will say that to anybody, not just because, so it's been very cool for me to do this podcast with him. I, I hope he feels the same way and I'm not too much of a pain in the ass, um, which we know I am, but yeah. what, what has Rob Hummel meant to you, Matt? What has he meant to you? Um, seeing, him from a young age to, to where he is now. Yeah. Well, I would say more than anything, like him and Jawan and Etwan, like they took a big gamble on me, you know, like they, I had very little experience as, as a head coach and they, they, they came here. Like they, they made it cool to go to Purdue. Like, you know what I mean? Like you've got to have some sort of a sexy appeal in the recruiting world. You just do. Like you can, if you sit around and you want to make somebody choose Purdue and they're 40 years old, you're going to get a lot of people coming on that boat. But when they're 16 or 17, like now, how do they perceive Purdue? How do they look at things? You know, and those guys, when they came on and, and they played and they played so well and they gave us that attention, that like that, that solidified our program again, because obviously it was solidified before with Coach Katie. Like that, that put us in a good place. And so I owe a lot you know, to him, each one, you know, Jawan for those guys. And I also owe a lot to like David Teague and Carl Landry, because those are the guys that were, you know, your start as a coach, when you take over a new job is what's left in that, what's left in that cookie jar, man. If there's nothing in that cookie jar, man, you got a tough battle. You got a tough battle. You just do. But if you got some guys where you can start and they got us to the NCAA tournament, the year when Rob senior in high school, and Chris Kramer and Keaton Grant were just solid, man. Those guys were, those guys were invaluable. And now we put those guys together with those three guys that were, that were freshmen um, with Rob and those guys. But I'll say this about all those guys, like Dave, like each one and Juwan and him, like we're all like class acts. Like they were just everyday guys. They're just normal guys. And that's what had such an appeal. Um, I think to everybody on our campus and, and still to this day, like there's still an appeal to those guys and, and what they bring. You got to understand like our facilities were not very good. And, and so like people always say, you got to have this, you got to have that. Now we have unbelievable facilities 
And every time I say it, I say, well, we signed the best class we've ever had with bad facilities. So people always say, oh, in the arms race, you got to have this, you got to have that, you got to do this. And I'm like, well, it kind of shows you the substance 100%. of Rob, each one, and Juwan. And I've always, like, put those guys together because they, they all have a lot of the same, you know, qualities of anybody. But they've all – each one's still playing. You know, Juwan's still playing. You know, Rob's still playing. Like, you know, the careers that they've had. And I look at those two guys like they're going to have careers past basketball too, just like – you know, be able to, you know, to blend right in and, and be able to do, you know, things like Rob's doing right now. Well, listen, Coach, I would say that all, all of us that have played for you, man, it was the best decision we ever made. So I'm really proud that you're our coach and I'm proud of you every day. So I, I, appreciate, I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, I think I'm going to cry before I get off. <laughs> Tear jerker at the end here. I've never seen Rob, you know, express that type of emotion for anybody. Um, all right, listen, I, we appreciate you joining us. It's been uh, – we kept you way too long. Uh, we know you got a, a game to prepare for in a couple of days. So we appreciate it. We'll do it again uh, in the off season. We'll tell some more stories. Uh, maybe we'll get on some other people like other Etuan, Juwan. They probably got some more dirt on Rob than you did. Yes, I, I would probably think so. so we'll, we'll get that done. We'll get that done. We'll have like a – a Robbie Hummel roast at some point. <laughs> Can't right. wait for that. All right. Thanks, Pat. Appreciate right. it. Thank you. Appreciate it.